And we sat down and we set kind of the, the, the course to say, I want to 3X the company again, Mike. I want to go from 10 million to 30. He's like, great. I love it. How are we going to do it? I said, through some organic growth, we're going to land some more big accounts, grow our customer base, get deeper with some of the current customers. And through some inorganic, we're going we're gonna to acquire one and or two companies. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 133, and today's episode is a really fun one because I have a guest on named Troy Berg, who is the owner of Dane Manufacturing, and I came across a three-part article series in Axial.net, which is a online deal marketplace where buyers and sellers of companies come on board to make transactions, to do financing, to find deals, to buy and acquire, or to sell the company. So pretty interesting website. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But uh, Troy's story was super interesting because he 3X'd his company in three years. So he went from $10 million to $30 million. So on the show today, Troy describes how he actually 3X'd his company in three years up to 30 million bucks through a combination of organic sales and M&A activity. So he has a huge chunk of the episode where he's talking about what great salespeople are like, how you should hire them, how he compensated them, and how that really led to a lot of very, very healthy growth. But then also, he describes a lot of the learning lessons that he had through eight acquisitions that he did to get him to the $30 million. All in all, this is a super fun episode to do with Troy because he's got a huge personality. He's got lots of stories to share. So whether you're looking to buy a company in the near future and you want to scale up through organic sales or through M&A in order to hit your target, targets and then eventually sell. Or if you're a potential seller in the near future, it's got a lot of great stories too about things that you should be thinking of because Troy's got the buyer's mindset and you know that you'll be sitting across the table from someone like himself at some point. So great episode, tons of great gold nuggets from Troy. So without further ado, here's Troy Berg. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Troy, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped for this uh, this episode because you and I talked last week, and I'm, it's a bummer we didn't get a lot of that on the record because <laughs> I think a lot of the a lot of the listeners and a lot of owners would have enjoyed that. So we're gonna try and recreate some of the the uh, the rallying back and forth that we had. Sure. And and you know just as I kind of teed it up, you know the I I came across your three part series in Axial uh, about your your growth strategy and the crazy things that you've gone through and so I'm, I'm excited to hear kind of the inner workings of that but so for the listeners who haven't had uh the pleasure of reading that article which we'll link to let's take it back troy and like how you kind of were again alluding to it before we got on the show but how did you become an entrepreneur and what what uh what got you the bug sure yeah um so i think probably like maybe many of your listeners you know the desire to you know do it better than where they were working if you know some of the big corporations, they they just suck the soul right out of the inner human being, right? You know, and so you know when when you say 
I'm just tired of being in a cubicle. I'm tired of being a number in a big corporation, or I'm tired of working so hard to have at the end of the day, my, my work, you know, my effort uh, distilled down to mostly nothing from, uh, from the management team above me, the boss, the owner, the whatever. Right. So you just go, look, man, human spirit wants to create, wants to develop, wants to grow, wants to build things. I'm a builder. Many men are builders. Many women are builders, but you know, you want to build something and you, you go into someone's business, whether you work for Ford Motor Company or Hewlett Packard, or you work for Dane Manufacturing, you want to build something and you want your life to, you know, your, your work or the culmination of your years worth of work. And then as you're there for several years to, to, to be a part of that, you know, growth and building of something. Most everybody, it's the human condition, right? You want to grow. You want to make an impact. So mm-hmm. I, I'd been in a couple of big companies and that just, just was not fitting with my soul very well. And the last company I was in, you know, I was making a, contrib- a significant contribution because one person can make a huge contribution. And, uh, you know, the owner would change his presidents like you and I would buy a new pair of Allen Edmund shoes and every <laughs> year. And he, you know, another pair, I should say, every year. And he would change presidents every year. So I've been promoted four times, was running a big part of his factory, making him a lot of money. And, uh, you know, the, the president came in one day and all of a sudden I was out of a job. So I said, that's it. I'm not going back to work for the man. You can't make me. So I had a little kind of a little uh, little saying, you know, that I had in front, inside my front office of or my little tiny office, my 10 by 12. It said, you know, get black or you're going back, you know, and that meant like you better get your, your little startup company profitable or you're going back to work for the man. Right. So get black <laughs> yeah. or you're going back. And so <laughs> not that working for the man is prison, but, you know, everybody on your podcasts no you know uh, i think they kind of would probably agree <laughs> <laughs> you want to be in your own you want to be in your own ship you want to be captain of your own ship and sailing you know plotting the course and then deciding you know who you're going to bring with you on the ship and 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 set sail right and um and so yeah that was for me kind of the beginning of it in 1990 jeepers 96 so 22 23 years ago now so started that little company, grew that from nothing to just over half a million. And then uh, the Y2K recession came along. You know, some of your listeners remember that when their dad would talk about it. Some of them lived through it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, my business was going to make it, but it wasn't going to be the same size on the other side of that recession. So I said, time to grow. You got to get, you know, so then you get the, the next saying, which is, you know, get big or go home. Right. So I had to get bigger. And Many, many companies, if you start to study it and really take a look at it and try to understand, you know, our government loves statistics and they love to track, you know, the census, census.gov site and irs.gov site have tons of metrics out there. If you look at it, the evening news will always confuse us. There's 28 million small businesses in America or 29 million or 32 million. I always kind of like to define small businesses as you got FICA. You got one or more employees you're paying FICA taxes for. Then you're an employer. <laughs> there are about yep. 5 million employers in America of the employers. And I'm not picking on anybody that's working on their house that's, that, that makes more money than me. Uh, really, I'm not. I'm simply talking about, from my perspective, I've always been an employer. And so from an employer, it's about 5 million employers. You know, very few make, very few break a million. You know, there's a couple million of the five million that stay below a million or below, and, and and lots of those owners have nice lifestyles. That's great. For me, I always wanted to be a bigger company, and 
always kind of had a background in manufacturing. So then many companies never break two, then they don't break five, then they don't break 10, and I'll get into that in a minute. But so I wanted to get over a million. So I went out to look for a company to buy, and I found the company I'm talking to you at today, Dane Manufacturing. We started to pursue the acquisition of Dane, and it took about 18 months and a whole lot of time of mine, and I got it about 85% complete with no advisors. Those of you that are looking oh, to do an acquisition, keep your lawyers. First, well, first time, too. Yeah, <laughs> keep your lawyers and your, and your accountants the hell out of the room and, and just talk <laughs> to the other seller and try to get far down the road uh, without bringing in the attorneys, unless you have a really good attorney. Uh, most attorneys kill deals. So, <laughs> right. right. So I got really close, brought my attorneys and my accountants in and we commit kind of consummated the deal with the owner of Dane manufacturing bought it. It was 1.2 million. That was 2001, right after nine 11, the bank almost didn't do the deal because of nine 11, but we got it done. My mom was our investor. That's how I got the first deal done. She came with the working capital or the, the, the down payment, excuse me. As we then the next year we broke two million. The year after that we broke three, and we were on our we were on our way. And then um, so I three x the company for first time from one up to three. And then uh, I said, well, we can we can we can break five and we can break ten. You know, we I got the capacity to grow and change and keep getting better. What most of your listeners may or may not know is uh, I am the problem. You know, <laughs> self-aware. I love it. In my own company, I am the biggest problem because I have the veto pen. I'm the sole owner now. I I can say no to anything, right? Saying yes is saying yes is easy. Saying no is hard. Sometimes knowing what not to do is the hardest thing, right? So, so, yep. so you got to be careful with your with your with your yeses. So I I said um, we got to grow. And so we grew up to five, six million, got stuck a little bit there for a couple of years. And then we, then we finally, I brought in some more salespeople to help me, you know, split up the big accounts I had landed. And then we grew up to 10 million and then pretty soon we got to 12. So I had three X, you know, three times the growth the second time from three up to 12 and, uh, or three up to nine to 10, I guess would be a better way to say it. So I said, okay, we're, we're doing good. You know, one to three, three to nine, 10. We actually had grown to 12. And then I said, man, this is hard. I'm doing a lot of things at a high-end level here and I need, I need some more help. So I brought in a president, good friend of mine, uh, and he had an accounting background. And he, you know, so he came in and joined the, joined the fight. And we, that's Mike who, who talks in that Axial.net article mm -hmm. as well. And Mike said, well, what do we want? So in, you know, June of, right after, right, right before, excuse me, right before Memorial Day of 2015, I hired Mike. So in June of that year, we, you know, right after the 4th of July, we got back from our holiday and we said, what, what are we going to do? So we, this is the first 30 days Mike's been working for me. And we sat down and we set kind of the, the, the course to say, I want to 3X the company again, Mike. I want to go from 10 million to 30. He's like, great. I love it. How are we going to do it? I said, through some organic growth, we're going to land some more big accounts, grow our customer base, get deeper with some of the current customers, and through some inorganic, we're going to we're going to acquire one and or two companies. Cool. So we set the path, and then every Thursday, like was chronicled in that in that article, we started to then meet offsite for a couple hours, you know, so we could stay focused, not get distracted, and be you know very direct in what we were trying to accomplish. 
So we had to work through quite a few things. We had to sell a company inside the business. We had to uh, reorganize the factory to be able to take on more work. So reinvest all that money that when we sold that non-core division. And so it was about three quarters of a million dollars we netted from that sale. And we just poured it all right back in the business. And then we uh, reorganized the factory and started to grow from 10 up to about 13, 14. And then about a year from the goal, I'm like, how are we going to get there? We're, we're, we're really far. <laughs> Time's a ticking. 13, 14, 30's looking like a stretch. And I told all my friends, all my Vistage buddies, all, every, everybody. <laughs> put, it, put it out there, all, right? <laughs> put it out there. Uh, big, big, big BHAG, you know, and FBHAG is what I called it. And, <laughs> and they were like, oh, you're nuts. You're never going to do it. So I just, anybody that says I can't do something, I cut them. I immediately put them in radio silence and cut. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and I, I, they, uh, I grabbed my iPhone and I block caller from then on, you know. <laughs> and then once I accomplished the goal, I unblocked the caller. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then post it on Facebook and tag them, right? Tag them and say, hey, how do you like me now? <laughs> so uh so we ended up so we ended up uh you know kind of having a you know a little bit of a two-step process to to the final finish line to our 30 million 32 million dollar goal so we um landed a big client i landed a big client with my team and then i put my team to work on it on the whale i harpooned a big whale and that was about a five million dollar growth in 18 we landed them in the summer of 17 and then we finally finished the transaction of buying Dantherm Cooling. We've been working on it for, you know, about four or five months. It went away. We put a letter of intent out there. They took a letter of intent from a different bidder who came in over the top of us that went away. Then in deal terminology, the deal, you know, went in a no shop clause for 90 days with that, that potential buyer on their LOI. So we lost the ability to talk about it with the seller which was fine. I, they had, they wanted too much money for it. It was too high a price. So I let them go to get an education and they did. And their numbers were heading the wrong way anyway. Uh, Cause the president wasn't running it very well that they had in there. They came then the, in deal terminology, the deal boomeranged back to me. The president <laughs> called me back and said, are you still interested in the company? I said, that depends on the price. If you got, if your seller still, you know, thinks it's worth 6 million, then I'm not interested. Don't waste my time. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, how about asset value? I said, asset value is good. We can talk there. Is Are your assets still around 3 million? Yep. Okay, that's about the number I thought it was worth last time. I offered four, but I thought it was really worth, you know, three, one, three, two. So he came to visit me in Madison. We went and had sushi. Um, he doesn't drink. So we had ocha, green tea, and a whole <laughs> bunch of sushi. He went away. We agreed on a couple of timelines and a couple of key things. And then I visited the company again in there in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So that began the process. We then finished that acquisition in June of 2018. So last year, uh, you know, you know, eight, nine months ago, I guess. And bought the company and uh, that took us from our, our, our 18 million, 19 million up to 32 at the time. So, and then you unblocked everybody on your phone. <laughs> I unblocked everybody <laughs> except a few family members, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you couldn't even re resurrect those relationships uh, at all. Yeah, yeah. So they get to find out about it from mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I'm so excited, Troy, is like, you know, 
you you said you'd done eight acquisitions throughout this period and like that's that you know that's ridiculous growth that i think a lot of people want anyways yeah. and so i think well you know how we can go with this with the storytelling is you know you have so many war stories and i you and i were rallying around a lot of a lot of the different points how kind of broken the whole m a yeah. industry is yeah. and how you learn that through unfortunate <laughs> situations yeah. so you know, I don't even know what uh, what thread we want to pull first. I mean, and, you know, what well, honestly, like, what out of that whole growth strategy? First of all, maybe on the organic growth, and then we can kind of tie into the M and A because I think you know, organic growth is always difficult for every entrepreneur. I mean, I, how many times in your business groups have you seen people just waste so much money trying to find the silver bullet of a salesperson? Yeah. So, what are some of the things that you did to actually organically grow the business? Yeah, that's a great question, Ryan. I'm 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 really glad you asked it because I I, I would like to tell every entrepreneur this story because most don't know the numbers. You are one of them. Uh, I am certainly one of them. Um, and 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 we identify self-identified on that first call together, that first couple of calls together immediately as as not only A-type personalities, but guys that aren't afraid of the phone and that can get quick rapport and can sell. And so for a very busy guy, you got into my world quickly, gained rapport, and I agreed to be on your podcast because I enjoyed talking to you. You're a very smart guy. Salesmen, here's the math for all you entrepreneurs. Write this down, put a block around, put get a blank white cheap piece of paper, write this down and tape it to your wall and look at it for about 10 days in a row because you're not going to believe me until, until you look at it 10 times, 10 <laughs> days in a row, and then you'd be like, damn, Troy's right. I've hired a lot of duds. <laughs> Here's the math. 4% of the salespeople in America sell 92% of all goods and services. 4%, the top 96th percentile, the top 4% sellers sell 92%. So according to the IRS, there's about 25 million people that identify themselves in sales. That's everything from the you know, the, the, can, the Canon fax copier scanner guy who can't get a, you know, a sale anymore because everything's going paperless. The guy that <laughs> That's my old world, man. <laughs> sell you a car, right? And you know all about that <laughs> business, right? That was your, your dad's business. And so now, of course, I, I have, you know, 20 printers in my company. And I got another 10 down south. And you're trying to figure out how to get rid of them. Though. No, That's everyone's <laughs> trying to figure out how to get rid of them. I still like printers, okay? I like looking at <laughs> stuff on paper. But certainly, it's going down. And my, my point really there is, there, of the 25 million salespeople, men and women in, in America that sell, 24 conf million confused the market and 1 million actually moved the needle. So when you're an entrepreneur and you're one of those 96 percentile guys or gals, and you want to figure out how to find an A, A, not an A personality, an A top A seller. Let me tell you how you find them. You have to recruit them away from a very successful job they already have and convince them that they need to come work for you. And you put no cap on their commission, you no cap on their salary. And if they make twice as much money as you, you cheer them on the whole time. Because mm -hmm. they will make you a lot of money if they're making twice as much money as you. The business is making all kinds of money. And you mm -hmm. can decide whether to pull it out or to leave it in a let it grow. So don't put a cap on your top salespeople. Many people do. It's a huge mistake. Second, second thing, before you hire them, there's a test out there you can give them, folks. It's called Objective Management Group, OMG. Look them up. It's a couple guys that came out of IBM. IBM was known for their sales management and sales training for 
50 years, 100 years. It's what made IBM Corp, IBM Corp, big blue. You live in Minnesota, they're in Rochester. They still make big, you know, supercomputers and mainframes mm-hmm. that run our banking systems and all kinds of secure defense contracting and stuff like that. Those mini frames and mainframes and, you know, even their big one today, I forget what it's called, what, Newton, I guess, or whatever. Watson. Watson. Thank you, Watson. That was the, <laughs> the name of the founder of IBM, Watson. I should remember that. So Watson, you know, will do, what, a trillion calculations in a second or something. The point I want to make is OMG was two guys that came out of IBM that said there's got to be an easier way. They created a test. This test is administered online. You give it to any candidate, and then it will tell you whether this that dog will hunt or not. And you can save yourself all kinds of agony when they are not a 96 percentile seller. Don't mm-hmm. hire them. Go keep looking and, and don't just slam a warm body in there. The, the last thing I can tell you is on selling is you have to set the pace. If you're the entrepreneur and it's your business, you never get to quit selling. You know that, Ryan. I, yeah. you, you were the main salesman for your, your dad's business. I'm the main, still the main salesman for my businesses. You have to suit up every, not every day anymore for me, but you still got to put on the armor. You still got to go, go out there and do battle. You got to grab the harpoon every once in a while, get on the front of the bow and, and harpoon <laughs> that big whale. So, yeah, yeah, I love, you know. I love it. it. There is no silver bullet, right? I mean, like, no. I, like I said, you know, like in the Vistage groups or the CEO roundtables or whatever you're in. Which, if you're, if the listener's not, you need to be. But right. <clears throat> how many times, like, oh yeah, I'm paying ten grand a month for telemarketers. They set no appointments, right? This person, they're they've been on my salary. They're making a hundred grand, and there's everybody's sucking off the tit, and no one's actually doing anything. It's just like right. you got to go do it yourself. You have to take responsibility for it. Yeah, there's probably one more thing I would say it's if you want to talk. I'm sorry about that. I should mute that off. One more thing I would say about selling people that sell. I've always offered a reasonable base, you know, somewhere in that sixty-five dollars to $85,000 range. Nobody gets a mm-hmm. six-figure base selling for me. And then I let them yep. go make $100,000 in commissions. Okay. So I highly incent them to sell. And I yep. only pay them two ways. I only pay them on gross margin. And I only pay them once we get paid. And so... Take note, entrepreneurs, not everybody pays their bill. And so if you're always paying your salesman a commission or a salesperson a commission, I mean no slam on the women listening on the line. I'm all about women power. I've got two girls at home that are my daughters. I love very much, and I'm, a, I'm the product of a single mom. So I don't mean to be uh, – Honestly, Troy, like on that note, I bet you of that million people that are you know, kick-ass salespeople yeah. – ones that are women, I bet you they outperform the men too. <laughs> 65, yeah, I bet you 650,000 of them are women and they outperform the men two to one. I think, I bet you you're yes, right. <laughs> women are the superior sex as we know. So, <laughs> so for sure. So the the thing that I want, the other thing I want, I, I only pay on gross margin and I only pay after the company is paid. And that's an important fact because you want that salesperson to uphold margin. You just don't want them to go out and sell, you know, a hundred brand new, you know, printer scanner copiers at mm-hmm. basically cost because now you're just trading dollars. You want it sounds like you're talking about my industry. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So so what does what the OMG test does is it's called the sales profile. What the sales profile test does is it looks at five areas of weakness. Okay. So you know you can go to their website and get these things. I'm I'm just gonna spot them off off the top of memory. I've given the test to over hundred people and only four have passed. You're talking to one of them. The other two sell for me up here at Dane, and I have one that sells for me down in Dantherm. 
And I've given that test over the last 12 to 14 years to 100 people. I joke, I do not joke about numbers like this. I've given the test to 100 people. Four have passed. I'm sorry, right five passed, five passed. I regret not hiring the fifth guy because he passed it higher than most of my other guys. And now he's selling for uh, a friend of mine's business doing really well. It wasn't the right fit at the time for us. That's my only regret, not 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 seeing past that and just bringing Jim in here. He Jim Jim did so five out of a hundred have passed it, pretty close to the numbers I told you. Um, it looks at five weaknesses. Their number one is their you know ability to handle rejection. You got to take a lot of no's before you get to a yes, Ryan. I don't know how many people you called before I said yes to do your podcast, but. You probably had 20 that day, and I was your 21st call. Uh, Troy, when I, when I started in the copier business, it was 400 phone calls, 15 appointments, three proposals, and one sale. <laughs> yeah, that was that every single week, man. <laughs> That's some math. That is some grinding there, man. Smiling and dialing, as we call that, right? Holy smokes. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you're well geared for the, uh, for the no. The the second you know area of weakness you'll tend to see if you in a, in a salesperson that doesn't perform is you know they're uncomfortable talking about money you know in in a copier sales uh corporate account ryan you could walk in and take a quarter million dollar order or a million dollar order for multi-site locations for medtronic and you had to be comfortable talking you know in four five and six figure numbers sometimes even seven figure numbers right that contract mm -hmm. I negotiated last summer was a seven-figure contract across three years. And it's the biggest sale I've ever had. But I was completely comfortable in it because I knew my math and I had been working on six and seven-figure deals for a long, long time. So you got to be comfortable. It's called money tolerance. You have to have, have a high money tolerance. Number three, you, you can't think that like a, a prospect or a potential customer, give them the chance to shop around. If you think like, I want to go shop at every store at the mall before I buy a pair of jeans or I buy a, you know, a Valentine's gift for my sweetheart, you're not a good salesperson. You know, you need to be decisive, get in there, make a decision, buy the, you know, buy the, uh, you know, whatever pair of jeans you want to buy and then get out. That's how I shop. So if you think it's okay for the prospect to look around and take, to take a long time to make a decision, that's a weakness. Number four, you have to uphold margin. When you give a quote, you know, there's got to be 20, 25, 30, 40 points in there for your, your company. And you're getting a percentage of that if you're the salesperson. The more margin you, that you bring your company, the more you should be compensated as a salesperson. Remember that, entrepreneurs. Pay your salespeople. The more they bring the company, the more you, they should get. Make it proportional. Make it go up as a percentage, right? So number mm -hmm. five then is the fifth area of weakness is got to think about it now oh this is an old term but for the non you know silver-haired folks on the line it, it was you know it's like in your mind i'm having a conversation with myself trying to remember the fifth thing i'm going to tell you we talk to ourselves at about 900 words a minute and then i talk to you at about 150 to 200 it's not doesn't mean i'm crazy that's your mind talking to yourself trying to remember you know pulling its memory banks to think of my next sentence okay you're not crazy. You don't have to hear voices in your head. It's called self. Got the monkey. Normal, monkey. Okay. <laughs> so if I don't control the self-talk in my head, the term they they use in the curling is it's a broken record collection. If I walk into my appointment at Medtronic to sell them on a thousand copier bid, and I'm nervous because I really want this sale and I haven't hit my numbers for the month, and my commission's down, and I got to make my rent check or my mortgage, you know, go out. 
and my wife or my girlfriend or my husband's on me, or I really want that new car or that new outfit. And I really, you know, or my credit card bill is due tomorrow. And I'm thinking about all that stuff and I'm nervous because I want, I really want this sale. Don't think for a minute that that, that smart woman on the other side of the table isn't picking up all your nonverbal cues you've given off. <laughs> She's going, uh, okay, crazy boy, get the hell out of here. I, I ain't buying nothing from you today. And so you got to control your self-talk. You got to control what's going on in your head. You need to have a very clean, you know, mind walking into these sales calls and it, and you need to do it when you get on the phone too. So, you know, what we used to call that Troy has called it uh, MSU, which is making shit up. So, <laughs> Seriously, like as we had 20 sales reps and you'd be like, okay, so if I don't get this deal, if I don't get this deal, I don't hit my quota. If I don't hit my quota, then I don't hit my bonus. If I don't hit my bonus, then I can't get the car. If I don't get the car, then I can't drive my kids to the, you know, and then all of a sudden you're broke and you're on the streets all within like 30 seconds. <laughs> Shut up. That's good. Right? <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, it's it's huge, man. Because like, I actually got multiple clients that we're working with too right now. That like, you know, the the repeatable sales division is always the hardest thing, and they think these people don't exist, or they give them house and home and equity for no reason, and it's just it, it's a it's a huge pain point in a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah, sales. So find yourself, find yourself an A, and you know, a top A salesperson. She's out there. She's probably frustrated selling for Hewlett Packard or, you know, IBM mm -hmm. and she wants to work for a, a smaller, more nimble company. She doesn't want to take a 50%, you know, backwards haircut and salary. She doesn't mind taking a little bit of a risk, but, you know, show her, show her how she's going to make, you know, her six figure salary, 150 or 200 grand working for you, even though you're not taking that right now because you've got a startup company or you've got a brand new company that, you know, you're only taking a hundred thousand dollar salary or a $70,000 salary. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if she makes 200 because now she's going to take your company from 1 million to 3 million or, and, and don't, and, and believe me, there'll be plenty of cake for everybody at that number. And so yep. you'll be able to give yourself a pay raise if she hits her goals and goes and lands that big whale. So a type sale, a, you know, top, you know, meaning like the best a salespeople pay for themselves as do all a players in your company. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, Troy, like on the, on the M and a that you went about, you know, maybe let's just kind of like, I don't know if we can recreate that conversation we're having, but like, you know, you were telling, you know, you and I were talking about how kind of broken the whole thing yeah. is. So like, you know, before we kind of go into the, any like specifics, or maybe if you want to, like, what are some of the big takeaways that you had throughout all the acquisitions, whether it's the advisors deal structure, you know, you know, you know, inconsistent value valuations that are out there. What, like, what's your overall take on your experience that you've had? Yeah. Great questions. You know, when I was younger, 36, so go back 20 some years, you know, I guess I'm 54 now, so 18 years ago, I was like, man, you know, how come transactions and deals and stuff are so gnarly and how come, you know, there's so much stuff I, I just don't know, right? So I bought this silly little book at the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, right? Go in there and I find this how to buy or sell a business, right? And it was just like this paperback book written by a business broker that was out of Minneapolis that had been, you know, selling for like 40 years, helping people buy and sell companies. And then there was just some key things in that book that really helped me understand kind of the facts, the facts. And that's how I got to be like 80%, 80 to 85% done with my deal at Dane before I had to, before I brought in my accountants and lawyers, knowing, didn't realize that I didn't, I wasn't done, you know? So mm -hmm. I had th things I had to get done yet as far as like raising my money and getting my working capital in place and, and getting the bank behind the deal. 
so maybe I wasn't 85% done. Maybe I was only 50% done looking back on it. But my point really is 80% of businesses never sell. 80% of deals just never close because big egos are sitting in the room. And so your job, if you're trying to do a transaction, and believe me, I've, I've bought eight companies and I've bought eight companies and sold one. And so is your job is to you know check your ego at the damn door and be a little bit humble if you're trying to get a deal done or you're just going to be like all the other friends at the club or at the bar or wherever they're they're bragging or talking, you know, you're just, yeah, I was talking to that guy. He wanted too damn much money for his business, you know? And I'm like, well, what did he want for it? And why do you say it was too much? You know, that's usually just bravado and ego talking because they, he, they couldn't submit their ego at the door and they didn't get the deal done. So they fall into that 80% of deals that never happen. Lots of people want too much money for their business. That's not a, that's not a uh, surprise. You know that, Ryan. The job of the entrepreneur that wants to get a deal done is number one, not to overpay, but number two, to understand the psychology of that seller, right? There's always lots of room and lots of, lots of ways to be creative on a, on a deal structure to get a deal done if both parties are truly interested in completing a transaction. So oftentimes we don't know what we don't know. And if you're dealing with an entrepreneur that started the company on the other side or took it over from his dad and grew it up big and wants to sell it now, it's his one transaction or her one transaction for the family. They aren't an expert at it either. They've been listening to their damn banker and their damn lawyer and their damn CPA <laughs> way the hell too much because those jackasses don't know how to get a deal done either. Right? <laughs> And first of all, they, they lose, they lose a client too. And they lose if a client. They, say, they don't really yeah. want you to get the deal done. Think about it for a minute, guys and gals that the minute that entrepreneur that's, you know, going to sell to you, sells to you, you, you being the younger entrepreneur, probably in the room, they're going to lose a client because you've got your own advisors or you, or you live in St. Paul and that, that business is in Minneapolis or you live in St. Paul and the business you're buying is in Milwaukee or Chicago or whatever, and you're going to pick it up and move it to St. Paul or to Minneapolis. And so, and so, you know, they, they're not incented to, to, to have you get the deal done. So there's, yeah, there's all kinds of things swirling around in that room. Be a student of the deal, understand the psychology of the human, understand there's an emotional connection to the business for them. Don't come in guns blazing, you know, calling their, you know, calling their baby ugly, calling the, calling them stupid, thinking that you can run it better than them and you can grow it quicker than them because you need to get the deal to close. So number one, check your ego at the door and, and have some humility at the table. Number two, you know, listen. They'll tell you what they want if you listen and take notes. And don't let any advisors in the damn room, uh, the people I just talked about, the bankers, the lawyers, the CPA, just say, hey, I just want to take you to lunch. I just want to meet with you. You know, get them outside the company, try to get some rapport with them and try to spend an hour to you know, hour and a half to two hours with them and find out what they've done with the business and how they've done it. You know, the, lastly, the third thing I would say is they're not just going to sell it to you or give it to you for you know, to anybody. They, they might have their whole life invested in the business like your dad did in your business, Ryan. And you want to sell it knowing that you're handing off your you're, you know, you're, you're, hand, you're, you're taking your, your kid and you're dop, dropping your daughter off at college or you're dropping your kid off at kindergarten, whatever you're at in your life cycle. And you want to make sure that that teacher on the other side, that that entrepreneur on the other side is going to take good care of your company. Or you're, you're in a transaction where you know it's a big corporation, they're buying your company, you know, and, 
it's it's a bag of money. There's different, you know, different kinds of transactions. But for the your audience, it's mostly like me. They're trying to buy a company, not destroy the value, either bolt it onto their current company or have a dual location. You know, they're a, they're an insurance company in Minneapolis and they want to expand into St. Paul or they want to expand into Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or whatever, right? They want to expand geographically, they want to expand the customer base. Maybe it's a virtual business. Maybe they don't even need a physical plant or a physical location. And they just want to, you know, they want to expand by buying customers and having more people. Maybe it's a maybe it's people they need, right? They're buying the business to have more salespeople or to, to just do a talent acquisition. There's lots of reasons to do acquisition, but understanding kind of that that person on the other side of the table, you know, that that they want to see you treat their employees decently, right? They want to see you be a decent human being. So remember that when you're dealing with somebody that's a little bit older and don't think for a minute that there's not opportunity there, just kind of guard that, you know, what your intentions are to do with the business. When he starts asking you, what are your intentions to do with the business? And, well, I'd want to know what you what you do next, Mr. Owner, because, you know, you've been here a lot longer than me. I don't know the business as well as you do. What would you do next if you were me? Well, if I was you and I had your energy and I had, you know, I'd go expand into St. Paul because there's lots of opportunity over there or whatever. Listen to them. Write it down notes, mm-hmm. be sincere, because odds are they probably have some good ideas in those nuggets, right? So so the last part I'd say on getting a transaction done is don't think for a minute, oh my God, I don't have the money. I'm never going to get this deal done because that's the self-talk stuff in your head. You know that I talked, you know, you and I talked about this, right? Uh, Sean Aker wrote The Happiest Advantage. Darren Hardy, my CEO coach, interviewed him. I'm, I'm listening to that working out after I did the, the day before I talked to you. And 25% of success is geared around intelligence and what you do with it, right? Skill and intelligence. 75% of success is your belief in yourself, your attitude, and your associations, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. your listeners are associating with you, a winner. So they're trying to get better. They're listening to me, a winner. So their associations are already taking care of themselves. It's attitude and belief in themselves. So when you go into a transaction, just for all your listeners, I never had the money for any of my eight transactions. Never had the money when I started <laughs> to, to buy the company. Okay. So you got to have to expand on that for the listeners. <laughs> Where did it come I from? I never had the money. I had faith in myself, huge belief <laughs> in myself, and belief that I could convince somebody to give me the money. So it is, it is, it is you know, you can't go in with zero, but... Like when I'll give you the numbers on Dane, when I bought Dane Manufacturing, it was $300,000 I needed. Okay. And I had 50. So I was clearly, this is $2,001. Okay. So that's not that much, you know, that much different than today's dollars. Right. I was a quarter million shy of closing my deal. (laughs) And I worked for 16, 15 months to get the deal done. And I could tell the bank's getting a bit nervous. I can tell that the uh, the seller's getting a bit nervous. My CPA is getting a bit nervous. The law firm starts asking, like, where's the capital coming from? I got it handled. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so, so I had an investor. And the investor was, was yes, 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 till two weeks before closing and until he was a no. And folks, I want to tell you, <laughs> partnerships don't work. So I'm not talking about having a partner. I'm talking about having a silent investor. That's it's a different kind of partnership. They have no control. They simply have an investment. They're hard to find. They usually come in the form of mom or dad you know, or Uncle Mike. And uh, so my mom stepped up huge and helped me close the deal. She remortgaged her house in uh, North Minneapolis. 
And, you know, I closed my deal and got the first deal done. Now, I went on to pay my mom very handsomely for that investment. She, we figured it out. She earned about 16% interest compounded over 15 years. So I made, That's awesome. yeah, I made, uh, you know, 12 times 15 is 180 payments. And uh, mm-hmm. I kept changing the amount a little bit more each, not every year, but, you know, started out as 2,500. Then I went to 3,000 so she could buy a new car. Then I went to 3,500. And then it went to 4,000. And so by the time we got done with the money stream, it was almost $600,000 to my mom because I love my mom. And she got her quarter of a million dollars in principal back. That's fantastic. Yeah. And my mom's a great lady. Still around and we're still very tight. Um, And so don't worry so much about the money. The money will be there if you have a huge belief in yourself. Capital will always find a good home. And so there's so much capital sloshing around right now in the market. You and I talked about this last time, looking for a place to go, a safe investment. One of the fastest returns on, uh, on an owner, on an investor's money is still in the SMB, the small to medium sized businesses. You know, there's, there's four and a half million of them in America and us entrepreneurs, we work really, really hard to make sure that that business is black. So we don't have to go back to work for the man. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll stay up all weekend, making payroll on Friday, spending all weekend trying to figure out how to make payroll happen because because we didn't have the money. Because you got it. Because you got it. Because we got it. There is no other choice. <laughs> Those checks got to clear on Monday or you're not going to have employees on Tuesday. Oh, well, you can you can always do manual checks. I've done that before. You know, that gives you a little bit of float. <laughs> you get a little bit more float. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I... I I actually, to follow that that whole train of thought, uh, Troy. What other than you know that that uh, swooping in of your mom? What about the other transactions? Was it yeah. you know you didn't? Was it banks that were the problem? What were some of the other uh, ways that the the financing came? Yeah, from? yeah, it's a great point. You know, so so you know, you and I talked a lot. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin and I lived in Minneapolis, uh, Bloomington for a long time. So I love and I don't have that. You know. Packer, Packer, Viking rivalry thing. Uh, you know, I got lots of <laughs> friends that are Vikings fans and and. Uh, Minnesota Wild fans, and I got you know lots of friends that are Packer fans and Blackhawk fans, you know, and so I, I just see I just see lots of shades of gray there. I love them all, right? And uh, I I always love to come to the Twin Cities, and I'm going skiing tomorrow with a bunch of my buddies from Bloomington Jefferson, right? So you know, at the end of the day, what I want to share with your listeners is is that you know don't think because one bank says no to you that that means no. That just means that that bank doesn't want more of the investment that you're bringing it, right? The risk that you're bringing it. So let's say in, in my world, it's manufacturing companies and I need, you know, I've got real estate, I've got, you know, big machinery and I've got inventory and AR. Not every bank wants, you know, to, to finance your, your manufacturing building or in your case, your inventory or in someone else's case, their, you know, their software development. But there are banks out there that do. And so mm-hmm. your job as the entrepreneur is, to not be offended by one no from a bank to keep going through all the no's until you find a maybe or a yes. And so bankers are notorious for being conservative because they want, they, they really have one job. They want their money back. They give you this green stuff called money and they, they kind of expect you to pay it back. Right? <laughs> so, so when that tight ass banker sitting across from you or doesn't believe in your dream or doesn't believe in your, your vision for the business, that you want to do this acquisition, that's his issue. 
you you need to believe in yourself and you just need to keep shopping for banks. Okay. So that's always my encouragement to entrepreneurs. The other part about the the working cap or the um, you know, the the money will be there once you find a deal. Oftentimes you can get the seller to finance the deal. You know this, Ryan. You know, don't go into the deal looking for the seller to, you know, hold paper as they call it in deal terms, right? To hold paper on 50% of the business. Go into the deal genuinely working hard to you know, find the capital, bring your own capital, leverage everything you've got, leverage everything your family's got to get your deal done, you know, and then knowing full well, you better make it work because your mom and dad want to be paid back. And so does Uncle Mike. And Thanksgiving, it's awful tough if you don't pay back Uncle Mike or mom and dad. Right. Yeah. So you'll work your butt off until you do that. Um, and, and then and then they're, and then they're going to come back, you know, four, five years later going, oh, honey, I knew you'd do it. I had faith in you the whole time. Know for a fact yeah. that, that there was times where it was dark for them. They weren't sure you were going to make it. But if they loved you, they hung in there with you. So the thing I want to share with your listeners really is, is that in the Midwest, specifically Minnesota and specifically Wisconsin, the bankers are the most tight ass you'll ever find in the country. So get out of Minneapolis and get out of Madison, Wisconsin, and get to more you know, friendlier places. Iowa, believe it or not, it's got a lot of bankers that are a lot less conservative because they already have a bunch of conservative stuff called farmland they financed and they want to do something with, you know, financing something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to them, that's a diversification because they're not in Iowa with some, a piece of dirt, you know, for a big farmer or a dairy farmer. Same way in Wisconsin, yep. you know, you get out of Wisconsin and go to Illinois. Chicago land, that guy's that guy's got all kinds of real estate loans in downtown Chicago. He's got a concentration at, you know, MB Financial or Fifth Third Bank or some other big bank. And he's looking for, you know, smaller loans in the SMB market to, you know, uh to, to do a deal. And and if it's a sharp entrepreneur out of Minneapolis or or out of North Dakota, you know, he'll do the deal. You know, they're looking to deploy capital in states and areas other than their own. And I will tell you that Minnesota and Wisconsin have some of the most tight ass bankers uh, I've seen. And you, we talked about that, Ryan, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. One of my clients actually just had, uh, they just got a new bank from uh, uh, North Dakota and they just did some amazing shit for them, which is pretty cool. North Dakota's got some great banking going on right now. I've heard the same thing from a bunch of people. There's all kinds of money over in North Dakota from the, you know, the people that are sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars from the, the natural gas and oil that's flowing out from underneath their farmland now. And they start their own bank and now they want to put that money to work and get, you know, five, six percent return on it because they're they, they got more than they know what to do with. And so North Dakota banks are ver- being very aggressive right now. And if you're, you know, if if you're a Minnesota Bulldog or you're a, you're a Minnesota Gopher, you know, I get I get the hockey rivalry with, the you know, the fighting Sioux or whatever they call themselves these days. They had to change your name. But, you know, I get the rivalry. I get the rivalry between the Wisconsin and Minnesota teams. I get it. Don't come here for banking. It's worse than Minnesota. Go over to North Dakota. Go over, go over to Iowa. We did our last deal with an Iowa bank. They came forward with five million bucks in a great package, and it's it's been a great relationship. You know, um, I'm also shopping in Chicagoland. I also would shop. I would shop in you know other other bigger uh, banking cities. You know, banking metropolitan areas, right? So Minneapolis has got a lot of big banks, but man, are they well, conservative you, sometimes? I find it right? Interesting about this, Detroit is that. You know, whether the listeners are planning on buying or selling, yeah. like 
you know, it's like, and you and I were kind of talking about this because I think, yeah, I mean, literally, it's the same numbers that I was, I, I rattle off all the time. I was just actually on a podcast earlier this morning, and you know, the twenty, the twenty-seven million companies, the five million, and you know, most of these are are boomers, right? So, yes. the the big challenge that is out there right now is that you know, the next generation doesn't have the capital. Right. So like it's almost like the, if there's a, a listener right now that wants to sell, they should actually help find the financing for the potential buyers too. Right. Because, you know, there's so many willing buyers and sellers out there, but the financial mechanisms to actually help with that transaction are totally effed up right They're now. A mess. Like it, it doesn't actually facilitate that. So it's, it, it, I think it's great for both sides. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the, the other thing I, I would tell your listeners, even though the process is sometimes long, if you get the right bank, uh, they can make it happen rather. They can shorten the process to be, you know, 60 to 90 days. Don't discount the SBA. You know, the SBA has got some decent packages. They charge a lot for their fees. And that's always been the gripe that everybody, you know, that does an SBA deal you know, complains about. But here's what I always say to, to those guys and gals. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm probably going to see about a 30% rate of return on my investment in uh, our company down in Spartanburg, you know, uh, South Carolina. Do I care that I paid 7% interest versus five and a half, the going rate? One and a half points on a, on a 30 point rate of return. I guess I'm only gonna make 20 and a half points on a rate of return on that small, medium sized business. I think the return can be as high as 50 on the return on asset investment on the ROAI. So mm -hmm. it, it becomes mice nuts sometimes when you, when you look at that. <laughs> so, so keep that in mind, you know, well, geez, they're gonna charge me $37,000 in fees to get the deal done. Yeah, and without them, you ain't getting the deal done. And at the end of the day, earn yourself out of those fees by just going and being more profitable in, for, in the first year, because you might be able to make that up in one or two months worth of profitable sales. And then you go, mm -hmm. good thing I own this company now. And I guess I don't mind so much that I had to pay 37,500 in SBA fees because without, without the SBA, I wasn't closing the gap. I want to explain the SBA just for some potential buyers yeah, out there and some potential sellers that misunderstand it. The SBA steps in and and, and fills the gap in the risk pool for the bank. So if I don't make it and I don't pay back the money, the SBA pays the bank back and then they take it out of my hide for the rest of my life by garnishing, garnishing my wages at my when I go back to work for the man. So the SBA stands in the risk gap between the entrepreneur and the bank. And so the bank mm -hmm. loves the SBA deals because they have no risk. And so oftentimes, it's okay to bring them in. You got to pay a fee because the SBA is is just like the um, I think it's the IRS. There's only two branches well, of the uh, government like, that like self green. fund, right? The IRS and the SBA. So mm -hmm. uh, no, the IRS needs money. It's, I think the SBA and one other one uh, Smithsonian they self fund. So the SBA actually self funds itself. In other words, they need no money from Congress to continue to run because all the money they collect on the fees for the loans that they write and underwrite pays for the salaries of all of the workers at the SBA, the Small Business Administration and the federal government. They're one of the only organizations in the federal government that sell funds. That's okay, that's good. And pay the fee, be happy to own the company and go make the money and pay it back in one or two years. It's a small consolation to get access to the capital to own the company. So help the seller know that, help the buyer know that, and there's nothing wrong with it. I've done two. I've done three SBA deals of the eight that I've done. My last one was an SBA deal because we, you know, we went from ten to thirty million, and or from twenty to thirty, I should say. And we needed that risk pool to, you know, to get the bank to, to get comfortable with it. 
not because the parent company wasn't strong, because the target we were buying was so bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. So some, sometimes the reason to bring in the SBA is there's lots of reasons to bring them in. The other part is help the seller understand because you're young and you're an entrepreneur and he's a boomer and he needs to sell his business that it's, it's okay that you bring in the SBA. He may not like them, but he may not understand it either. They're, they stand in the middle between the bank and the, and the, and the risk and they buy They suck up all that risk. And so it's, it's, it doesn't mean that the borrower is any is a bad person because they can't you know get a traditional bank to say yes does that make sense totally yeah. and like it, no and i think it's something that everybody needs to know whether you're sellers or or buyers and i like i think just to our point Trey, is that there's there's gonna be a very i mean just if you think about math and like if you got someone that's in their 30s or 40s or even in their 50s if they've been working for the man, you can only accumulate so much savings, Correct. right? I mean, they, unless you get an inheritance or a windfall somehow, Correct. but that's usually businesses. So you're like, it's not usual that someone's got sitting on a bunch of capital that could just purchase a business Correct. from, you know, cash. So you're going to have to have a financier in there. And I think, you know, for the, you know, for the buyers, I, I, I'm, I was on this podcast, right? Like I'm encouraging anybody that are in the thirties and forties, start, start getting prepped and start looking for these companies because the boomers that are listening to, they need people to step up to buy these companies. <laughs> so it's like, and if the SBA is going to, you know, fork and, and, and suck up to that risk, yes. it's like, Hey, why not? I mean, and the, and the seller gets most of their cash up front. I want to speak to both sides of it here for you. I couldn't say it. you said it so beautifully. I would simply add to that, that, that we are in unprecedented times because these boomers held on to the business too long. Last cycle, they should have sold in 2008 and they wanted to make another year's pro record profits in 2009 and we know what happened. The car went off the cliff. Then they had to slog back in there and work their butt off for the next 10 years to get to the top of the cycle. By the way, we're close to the top of the cycle. And they need to transfer that thing now, or they're never going to be able to enjoy their golden years. They're in their late mid mid sixties to mid seventies, and they need and their kid doesn't want to buy it. They have to mm -hmm. sell that business, you know. And if they don't, they're going to die, and then their widow's going to have to sell that business, and she doesn't know what she's doing selling it, and and or vice versa that he doesn't know what he's doing when he's selling it because she she built it and grew it up. It was her, her dad's business and she took it over, right? So again, no sexist uh, comments coming from me. The point I want to make is that th those businesses have to transfer. You got to let those entrepreneurs, those younger entrepreneurs have control of it. And in order for that to happen, there has to be, you know, we're in unprecedented times. There's 3 million businesses, businesses that got to transfer in the next eight to 10 years. It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. It's uh, unprecedented times. And so... It's a great time to be out, and there's all kinds of capital looking for a place to go, you know. And so, again, our government has a lot of it through the SBA. The banks have a lot to lend through private individuals. At the same time, uh, you know, it's it really comes down to getting a deal done, a deal right? Done, have some belief in yourself, getting a deal done, and sticking in there, and and just saying, yeah, I should be the owner of this business, not because I'm better than you, and I'm just because I'm ready to take the baton from you, Mr. Owner, Mrs. Owner. And I'd like to help, you know, take care of the business and take it to the next level or just maintain it. You know, you don't have to tell so them all that you're going to do with it because they're not necessarily interested in hearing that because. Right, right. Right. That's totally true. Yeah, be humble. So as far as like your, your experience with kind of two things, one is advisors. Yeah. Uh, like you wrote these deals and then also deal structures, any, any comments or thoughts on like, you know, you and I were kind of talking about how, 
you know, I think, you know, I, I might, I don't want to, I don't want to prime you too much, but I think they're like those stats that you had about salespeople, yeah. they got to have something similar about actually advisors that are worth a shit yeah. and verse versus, you know, people that actually understand how this whole game works. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's, there's, there's so much terminology. I call it, you know, country club talk. I don't, I don't belong to a country club, but I have plenty of friends. Totally. That do. I, I always say I don't have to belong to the country club because I got lots of friends that, that uh, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, you can go with them. go with them and ride on their membership. Uh, I don't have a lot of time for um, pretension, so I, I prefer to just kind of do things and then talk about it after it's done, versus bragging on it, you know, at the club or whatever. So, um, what I would, what what I the I guess a few things I would like to share with your listeners is that there's so much language around deals and deal structure. For those of us that have done a lot of deals, there becomes a, you know, a way of talking about it. And sometimes you don't understand those terms and they're not necessarily in, uh, on a Google, you know, lookup, right? And so sometimes you need to get yourself around uh, the entrepreneur that's done a few deals or the podcast that you're putting through, Ryan. I'm sure that there's a bunch of terminology your listeners can get from uh, just talk and listen and talking to listening to the people you interview like me. What I want to say is in, in, in the advisors and getting deals done and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, a lot of times they're full of shit. They're, they're, they're just guys and gals that, that want to want to associate with the winners and they'll waste a lot of time and, or some of your money, they'll take some of your money and they don't actually really do a lot of transactions. So one of the reasons I joined Axial.net was because that was a serious group, a serious community online that, you know, it costs a lot of money just to join where there's a bunch of serious cats there that are trying to get deals done and or finance deals and or sell a company, right? And so in that community was very serious players. At the same time, there's other people that are hanging on to that community that are pretty serious, but just can't afford to be in that inner circle yet, Okay. So that's a great spot. There's a lot of great resources online too. You know, my CEO coach, Darren Hardy, you know, at, you know, he's got a lot of people that subscribe to his stuff. He's got a thing he does every day. It's called Darren Daily. It's just really good positive stuff to put into your brain. You got to watch the inputs to your brain, okay? Because if you're going to keep a positive mental attitude, a belief in yourself and some of that, you are not finding it on Fox News Channel you're not finding it on MSNBC, Squawk Box in the morning. Turn that crap off. Quit watching TV. You want to get a deal done, quit watching TV. You know, 92% of the crap they're selling you, all that fear they're pumping out at you on that idiot box, never happens. Okay. The other 9% or 8% that's left over, the other 7% doesn't happen the way you think it's going to, and the only 1% actually happens. So if it's, you know, it's just fear mongering. I hate it. It's sensationalization of you know, somebody else got shot in downtown Minneapolis today. Yep, they did. Does that mean I shouldn't go to downtown Minneapolis to have a lunch with my potential banker? Nope. You better if you want to get a deal done, you know. So, yeah. somebody. <laughs> how, about, how about like you know? the advisors that you like, you know, which, no, I think you're spot on with a lot of that. How about like, you know, so many, you know, kind of what I see is like so many people, did they just turn to the first person that they trust, mm. which they're not in the business of doing deals, right? Oh. So whether it's a, and sellers more so than, you know, cause buyers, they can, you know, they can kind of fumble their way through stuff yes. because there's not as much risk on the table other than, you know, loss, losing a deal. Yeah. But you know, these sellers turn to like the first, 
advisor, CPA, banker, attorney, and they're not in this business. And then they, there's all this jargon that gets thrown on that the, the people think it. And I just don't know what you've experienced over all the, the eight deals you've done. Yeah. Yeah. There's there, you know, of the eight deals I've done, there's a hundred I haven't done. Right. Cause you know, because of the jargon and the stuff you're talking about, the, the jackasses in the business that are walking around acting like they know what they're talking about, convincing the seller to, I'll tell you about one deal I didn't get done. I, I wouldn't say I regret it. It's just, it just didn't happen. It was a good deal and I would have been great for that business. So it was one of my CEO peer, one of my CEO peers in Vistage. He was the other alpha male in the room. I was the young alpha, alpha male in the room and he and I always had the best advice for the other 14 people you know, that were sitting around in, the, in, in our business group, right? So we'd always give the hard, hard advice to the business owners in the Vistage group. Uh, and I'll leave his company's name off and his, you know, I'll just call him Jim, okay? Even though that's, you know, so Jim was gonna sell me his business after you know having a very successful run with it and had really nice EBITDA, Jim was going to give me the startup, the basically the work, the uh, the down payment. I would say working up the down payment, and I it was a it was a no money down deal on a twelve million dollar. I'm sorry, it was a uh, in sales. Well, it was about a fifteen to sixteen million dollar company, two thousand four, two thousand five numbers. So it's about fifteen to sixteen million dollar company. It had three divisions. It was an old line company, but I could have I could have grown that thing a lot, and it was been around for 135 years. It was in a small rural town, not too far from where I lived. And Jim liked me a lot and thought I was a pretty sharp guy. His CFO, however, was going to become one of my new partners. So the money that he Jim was leaving in, he was leaving two million bucks in the deal, and another, and he was going to hold the real estate, and he wanted 12 million for it. So I I spent about forty thousand dollars in legal and CPA with my good deal lawyer and my good deal CPA writing it up. And we were really close to getting a deal done. And at the last minute, his CFO convinced him not to sell it to me because the CFO didn't like the fact that I was only giving him two and a half percent equity for the 500,000 that Jim was leaving in for him, not 5%. He thought I should give him 5% and I should, I should have four partners in the business that had 5% equity stake. And the problem with that is now all of a sudden those four guys you got to have 81% or 82% in Wisconsin state law to have majority. Now those guys get preferential treatment because that I don't have a majority position. So it created all kinds of legal challenges for me. So instead of just giving them each four, I said, you know, you get two and a half because we're going to grow this thing and that's going to still be worth a million bucks to you. And you didn't put the half million in, Jim did. So you should be happy with that. You know, you're going to all walk away millionaires and you've just been the CFO here for four years, you know. So be happy Jim's leaving a half million in for you. And he queried the deal. The story I tell you there is there's always influencers around the sellers. And sometimes they're inside the company. Sometimes they're their country club buddy. Sometimes they're their banker. And they're, they're outside the business. And so you'll see the influencers. They're hanging around the king. And they're always, you know, chirping in his ear or her ear, the queen's ear. And they're like the jesters in the, you know, the old medieval times in the court, in the court right? So you're coming before the king or the queen and you're trying to, you know, bow down and, and get favor with them to have them sell you their business. And here's their jester in their ear. They like you or they don't like you. They got their own motivations, right? So, well, and I, and I was going to say, try to interject, interject for a second. The, the, the sellers need to be aware because that whether it's the advisors that could lose a big client or people like the CFO, every, Every there, if you don't do the due diligence to line everybody's motives up together, the the seller has to be aware of what lens everybody's looking at 
this through because everybody's got different motives, no matter how good of people they are. Yeah, absolutely. And don't 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 think for a minute that not that everybody at the table doesn't have a motive. Everyone's got an ulterior motive, including the seller, including the buyer, including the CPAs at the table, right? So what I would what I would suggest to your listeners that are serious about getting a deal done. You know, there's, there are some decent books out there, you know, not President Trump's The Art of the Deal, you know, but there are some decent books out there that speak to, you know, small to medium-sized business transactions. You know, you got to look for them. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the opportunity for these large businesses to transact. A couple of books I'd recommend for your entrepreneurs is, you know, Darren Hardy, Compound Effect, and Darren Hardy's The Entrepreneur's Roller Coaster. ER is probably one of my favorite all-time books, and I, you know, I work with Darren. I listen to all of his podcasts all the time. He's in my ear all the time. It's it's my positive stuff. I feed my brain, and I go to his, you know, seminars and I invest in myself. The last thing I'd share is is invest in yourself. Darren taught me that a long time ago. You need to be investing about ten percent of your salary every year in yourself. So if you're making sixty grand, you find six grand, and you don't buy the new car. You invest it in yourself. And that's in your clothes, your seminars, your your learning, and whatnot. You find ten percent and invest it back in yourself. And so I started doing that about five, six years ago when I heard it from Darren. Jim Rohn taught Darren that, and Darren's been doing that for a long, long time. Darren's quite successful, and I would say it's helped me in immensely. I love it. I love it. And one small story as we're wrapping up here is I, I uh, Going back to your sales and everything, you just and, and what you just said just totally brought me back. I watched Harvey McKay speak yeah. um, right when I had started selling on the streets after college nice. and broke as a joke. I'm driving a shitty Honda and I go to his seminar and of course there's you know this is before literally before the internet yeah and I'm like so I like you know. I'm broke and they're like, it's $150 for his damn DVDs or whatever it was. And so I, I, I bought him and I was you know, traveling around in the mobile university <laughs> and there was, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And then like, and then all of a sudden there's this one CD that, you know, cause I had put all six in my, you know, the, the, the CD exchanger. And then there's one that is, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And you do that right as you're walking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just total head games, man. It's like you versus your six inches between your ears. It's, yeah, it's totally- absolutely. Control that self-talk in your sales call. So, you know, so Darren's entrepreneur roller coaster, the, the entrepreneur roller coaster, it's a bit of a you know, tongue tire, is a great book. And it really talks to the, the challenges we face as entrepreneurs and, you know, continuing to feed yourself all that positive reinforcement for your mind because the world's a tough place it'll beat you down you know and then he's got his darren daily thing that he does every day which is just awesome right he's got a nice community of people similar to what you're trying to do ryan to create this community of entrepreneurs i don't i think you guys complement each other i don't think you compete uh what you do is very different than what darren does and but 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 they're very complementary in the in the trying to impact people for you know for better right so as you as you find these young entrepreneurs or or older, you know they don't they don't you know they've got to be uh, I, young young at heart is really what I say. You know, as the seventy year old has to sell the business to the fifty year old, many many successful entrepreneurs don't become entrepreneurs till mid forties to you know early fifties sometimes. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be twenty five to be an entrepreneur. You could be forty five listening to this. I started my first company at thirty, but that was because I was you know. Uh, let go. I got let go from my last company. 
So I wasn't going back to work for the man. And so, but that's not everyone's story. Once you, once you go black, you never go black or you never go back go, or whatever. Go black or you're going back was my say. Go black or you're going back. I say, yes. <laughs> you know, black meaning you know, money. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. meaning anything racial. In the black. Yeah, Retained earnings. Yeah, in right? the black or you're going back was what was, thank you. In the black or you're going back was, was the actual saying I had. <laughs> in the black or you're going back. Oh, boy. <laughs> You know, yeah. Every and so then, then you just that feeds on itself every day, right? And so, just be careful what you put in your mind. So, if there's one thing you want to highlight that we talked about, or you want to, you know, something that we didn't touch on, what uh, and leave the listeners with, what would it be? You know, I I, I appreciate you. I, I appreciate what you're trying to do. I appreciate your mission. Um, I think sometimes in in you know in life, you 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 have to remember, you know. So my mantra is from Darren Hardy, right? Grow, grow, impact, and excellence. Growth, impact, and excellence are my kind of three core values I live my life by, right? I want to grow as a human. I want to help other people around me grow. I want the companies I work with to grow. I want my customers to grow so I can grow with them. Impact, you know, you want to impact people in a positive way. Every job you provide as an entrepreneur, I don't care if you're, you provide your first job and you're now an employer, you know, be proud of that fact, okay? Because you created a job. You create a job, you create two jobs. Each one of those jobs impacts four people. Four people are impacted by every job. And so think about that. You create one job, you just you just impacted four people. You get to you get to run a company of 10 people. Don't think you're small. You you're impacting 40 people's lives, okay? Remember that four multiplier. It's a big number. People go, well, you know, I'm single. I live at home. And I, I remind my single engineer that she is impacting four people if she loses her job. It's mm -hmm. like I, your boyfriend's going to be impacted. You'll be living in his house. Your your mom and dad are going to be impacted. And because you're going to be asking them for money. You got kids. Who payments. And who else? <laughs> your sister? Yeah, you're right. I guess I would impact four people. Yeah. Every job impacts four people or more. That's the average. Okay. The last thing is is excellence. No matter what you do, if you're working for the man and you're trying to become an entrepreneur, you owe that person who gave you that job a solid day's wage. You, you take into heart what Andrew Carnegie said, which is, you can, I can always judge the success of where a man or a woman is going to be, not by what they do from, during the working hours from 8 to 5 or 7 to, to 5 in, in the day. It's what they do from five to 10 at night when they're not under the employ of another man or another woman. So mm -hmm. don't waste your time. You only got one big spin around this world one time. Don't waste time. Time is a precious commodity. You only have a little bit of it, right? So what you do from five to 10 at night on a Wednesday night, maybe you're, maybe you're out, you know, in dart league, maybe you're, you know, shooting pool, maybe you're going bowling, maybe you're drinking beer with your buddies watching Thursday night football. That's okay. Once in a while. Don't make that your habit. Don't make that what you do every Thursday night. Because if you want to get ahead in life, you have to take advantage of those hours, especially if you want to be your own entrepreneur. I used to work crazy hours so that I could sit here and talk to you today. Do what others aren't going to do today so you can be like nobody else tomorrow, kind of Dave Ramsey, right? And so right. those are my thoughts I'd share with your listeners. What is uh, the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, you they, they can reach me uh, if they have questions, they want to reach me. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me just Google Troy Berg, Troy F. Berg. You'll see all kinds of articles, different things I've done over the years. 
but Troy F. Berg, you know, I'm at Dane Manufacturing's one company I own. I own two other companies, but I don't like to be known as the owner. I like to be known as kind of head coach, right? But uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Google my name and there'll be 10 hits on page one. Troy F. Berg, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I'd love to hear from your listeners. I almost always take a call from a budding entrepreneur and, uh, you know, that's part of giving back, right? I had people help me when I was trying to figure life out. And so if I can help your listeners in any way, just have them reach out to me directly. I'd be happy to, happy to talk to them and schedule some time to, you know, get their heads straight about something. Troy, thanks so, so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. Ryan, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All the best. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Troy. I had a blast chatting with him. Um, I think we could have gone down the sales rabbit hole for quite a long time. But I think if there's a couple of big takeaways that I have here is that you have to have confidence in yourself. You have to have confidence in your vision. And then you have to do the research and the diligence in order to go find the right people that can help you accomplish your goal. I went through a lot of the same situations with the banking situation that Troy was talking about because you hear no all the time. So you think it's you. But the reality is, you know, you have to validate what whether your strategy and whether whether your ideas are correct or not. But if you have pretty good confidence and you've done your homework, go find the people that can help you accomplish those goals. So don't do anything stupid, but making sure you have the right people that are creative, super intelligent, and that are helping you accomplish your goal. And then I think the other couple big takeaways are if you put your mind to it, so Troy had his BHAG, but if you say, I want to be this dollar amount and you're doing the intentional things to go get there, I think you can get to your valuation that you want so that way you can exit to the right person for the right reason. So I think really, really taking into consideration of do you have the right salespeople, the right sales process, because that's a huge thing for any potential buyer that you have a repeatable sales process with very, very good people. But then also, if there's a way to accelerate that growth through acquisition, it's also a great way to do it because you can purchase additional EBITDA that potentially could increase your multiple when you sell. So I think about tying all this stuff together and really, honestly, the takeaway from Troy is that believe in yourself, be happy, have a positive attitude, and you can really engineer your way into the outcome that you want. So if you have any additional questions, go on to GEXP Collaborative's website. We have a bunch of guides on how to value your business, all the different types of exit options. And if you like this, share the episode, go on to iTunes, and please give me a rating. Really love to get more guests on this show. It would be a huge help. I know it's a big pain in the butt, but I appreciate everybody that's the true loyal listeners here. So with that being said, I will see you next week.